Well, this time we can dismiss our children for Children's Church. Uh, so Children's Church is for those um, who are of the smaller variety and who are going to go through something similar to what we're learning today, and we're helping them to teach them to be in church. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Joseph Bianco. I'm an assistant pastor with City Reform Presbyterian Church, and I want to welcome you, especially those of you who are new. Uh, welcome, and I would encourage you to stay afterward. Um, we have a time of food and fellowship, and uh, part of church is everyone here that we would share together in the fellowship of the saints. So would you consider, if you're new, hanging out afterwards and, and uh, saying hello? Let me um, read this word. You'll find it on page uh, six of your bulletin. We're in Matthew 7. We've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we end the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount a little while. And we're beginning in verse 13 to 29. I will read the word, and our response will be, thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7, 13 to 29. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have a uh, fairly challenging text before us today, and I, I say that because there are some things that we read in Scripture that challenge our current cultural context more than other things that we might read. And these warnings Jesus gives really challenge us, particularly in the area of exclusivity and dichotomy. 
So you'll notice there are many dichotomies in this text. There's narrow, wide, many, few, false prophets, true prophets, good fruit, bad fruit, not knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus. Doing the word, not doing the word, building your house on the rock, building your house on sand. And the intellectual in the room might say, you know, I would prefer a third option. But Jesus says there are only two options. There's also exclusivity. There is one path. There's one way, one foundation, one will that the Father has for us. And our modern ears find that difficult. So I'll introduce this concept now. You know, Jesus is speaking in a particular way to challenge us. To challenge us. Now, of course, there are times in the Christian's life where he wanders off the path. There are times in the Christian's life where he produces bad fruit and he sins. We all sin. Now, of course, we don't always do everything that we are told to do. But Jesus here is challenging us. Are we disciples of Christ? He's helping us and he's challenging us to really look at our hearts and ask, are we committed to his purposes? So remember, Jesus just gave this whole sermon on the mount, the most famous sermon in the history of the world. He's asking us, how are you doing? How's it going? Is your walk genuine? Did you ever have something genuine? Did you ever own something genuine? Maybe a a genuine leather jacket or a genuine watch. Or I just bought genuine cobalt drill bits. They're the real deal. Drill, Drill right through steel. Something is genuine when it's the real thing. And Jesus gives us three warnings to challenge the genuineness of our faith. And those three warnings we're going to look at today. And they are the warning of the way, the warning of the will, and the warning of the word. And, you know, before we get into these warnings, I just want to encourage us that Jesus intends these warnings for our encouragement, for our growth in Christ. They're not to scare you. They're to push you towards him. So when you hear these, there's going to be a whole sermon of warnings. Would you hear them in the context of the gospel? That Jesus loves you and he wants you near to him. All right, let's look at the first warning, the way. So I'm going to handle verses 13 to 20 together, uh, both for the purposes of time, but also if you look at the language in verses 13 to 20, there is a similar idea being presented. So how does the language of a gate a path and a bunch of people moving on that path relate to a false prophet in sheep's clothing. Well, it's all shepherding language. It's all shepherding language. I remember being in Scotland, and you know, there's a ton of sheep in Scotland. There's more sheep than there are people, and there are a lot of gates in Scotland, and there are a lot of paths. In fact, my wife and I, we took... Um, a sheep path that led us to this beautiful field of heather. And sometimes, as we took this path, there were paths that were wide and there were many sheep on it. But sometimes you would just, you'd think you'd be alone, and then you would see this sheep on this narrow path all by itself go past you. So then, who is the shepherd in this story? Well, it's Jesus. It's as if we are the sheep and he is telling us, this is the path I want you to take. Its gate is narrow. 
It's confined. It's cramped. The path is hard. It's difficult. It's rugged. But it leads to life. Conversely, do not go down this other path. Its gate is wide and spacious. The way is easy and comfortable. And it leads to death. Now, how about these false prophets? Well, they are, in verse 15, in sheep's clothing. Do you see that? So they are imitating sheep, and they are trying to get you off the path. And apparently Jesus says that these are good costumes that these sheep are wearing, because the only way you recognize them is by their fruits, by the fruit they produce. So what's Jesus teaching us? Well, the first thing he is teaching us is that everyone is on a path. Everyone is on a path and is being influenced by a peer or a leader. Everyone is being led somewhere and everyone is on a path to somewhere. Now, maybe, maybe you don't like this. Maybe you'd prefer to think that you're more objective than Jesus here. And that is precisely what he's challenging. He is saying that no matter who you are, no matter how smart you think you are, or observant, or disciplined, or open-minded, we are all on a path, and we are all being influenced towards the easy path. Now I want you to consider a path. What is so challenging about Jesus' words here? Well, he only gives us two. He's saying there are only two roads. There's only two paths. And they are diametrically opposed. One is easy, one is hard. One is wide, one is narrow. And this challenges our modern notion of what? Do you all know Ralph Waldo Emerson? He's the reason America is the way America is today. He says this. Emerson says, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. That sounds great, doesn't it? Emerson thought he was trailblazing, but according to Jesus, brothers and sisters, there are two roads, and perhaps Emerson was on the easy path. The warning of the way is not a warning that you better choose whatever path you want to take. The warning of the way is that for everyone, including disciples of Jesus, there are two paths, so which one are you on? So how do, you, how do I know, you're asking me, which path I'm on? And I'm going to give us just some practical, quick bullet point helps here. Here they are. Is the way hard or easy? Are there many on it or few? Does the leader produce good fruit or bad fruit, or the peer influencing you? And can you recognize the name of the path? So let me hit each of these quickly. So Jesus says the path will be hard and the gate narrow. Has Christianity been easy for you? Do you find the entrance into Christianity comfortably wide or restrictingly narrow? Jesus says there will be few on this road. Does your Christianity resemble the world around you? Could you, could you pick it out of a crowd? Is it swimming upstream or downstream? Jesus says that people will persuade you. So what is the fruit of the leaders or the peers persuading you. So these are the people you idolize. These are the celebrities, the politicians, maybe the Christian leaders. Is the fruit good or bad? And what is the fruit? Well, we remember the fruit of the Spirit. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But you could have someone that appears to have all of these things without the greatest fruit of all. Do they preach Christ? Do they preach Christ? And this leads us to the name of the path. What does Jesus say is the name of this path? John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the path. So let me bring us back a minute. Remember, Jesus is intentionally speaking hyperbolically to warn us, Christians, from complacency. So, you know, of course, even the most faithful Christian will sometimes find life easy. I hope your entire life is not difficult. Even the most faithful Christian will sin. Even the most faithful Christian will be tempted to stray or may at times stray. But here is the challenge. Are you on the path at all? Is where Jesus is pushing us. When you look back in your life, is your version of Christianity only easy? When you come to the Bible and you read the Word of God, do you ignore all the parts that you dislike so that the path becomes wide or the entryway wide? Do you give more weight to the false teachers than the words of Jesus? If these are true, then he may be warning us that we are not on the path. Now, if you thought that that warning was difficult... Let's look at the next warning. Now, by the way, I want you to hang in with me because there is hope at the end of this tunnel. But we need to look at these warnings. This is the warning of the will. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the first thing to notice about the warning, Lord, Lord, is that it's repeated in verses 21 and 22. So what does it mean when someone says, Lord, Lord? Well, I agree with uh, Tim Keller on this point. He says that to repeat a name uh, it was a Semitic way of expressing emphasis and, um, and affection. Emphasis and affection. So for instance, when Jesus addresses Martha in Luke 10, he doesn't just say, Martha. What does he say? He says, Martha, Martha. Or do you remember um, David and Absalom? When David is crying over his son Absalom, what does he say? He says, Absalom, my son, my son. He repeats it, Absalom, my son, my son. Jesus is teaching us that you could potentially sit at the feet of Jesus, know him emotionally and personally, and not know his will, and therefore not be his disciple. Verse 23. Now this is the point in the sermon where our hair begins to stand up on the back of our necks and we start squirming in our seats. So let me bring this into modern day. Did you ever meet a Christian who self-identifies as a Christian, and when you ask them about their faith, they're quick. They'll say, yes, Jesus is my Savior. But their lives reflect nothing of a life of Christ, and they know nothing about the words of Christ. Did you ever meet someone like that? Well, that is what Jesus is referring to when he talks about his will. Verse 21, what is the will? The will of my Father who is in heaven. What is it? His will is every word he reveals in Scripture. 
It is his revealed word or his revealed will. So someone who says, Jesus is my savior, will know what Jesus teaches. So if I could say it another way, if you claim Christ as your savior and you never care to find out what that savior teaches, is he really your savior? If I could say it another, another way, if he is your savior, then he's your Lord. And you want to know what your Lord has for you to do. To say Jesus is savior and never listen to his words, his will, would be like a man who said that he loved his wife, that she was the most beautiful and precious thing to him. I love her so much, and that every time they interact, he ignores her. What would you say to that man? You'd say, do you really love her? You don't listen to her. And this gets us actually into these charismatic examples we're given in verse 22. So verse 22, on that day means the day of judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? So what is the defense of these people? Well, they're defending themselves by their works. Now, I was puzzled when I, I read this um, the first time, and I was studying this, and I thought to myself, you know, aren't these good things? Aren't they? Casting out demons, prophesying in Jesus' name, doing mighty works in his name? Why does Jesus condemn them? Well, he condemns them because they think it is by these things that, verse 21, they enter the kingdom of heaven. So would you please hear this? It is not by our good works that we are saved. It is not by our good works that we are saved. One day we will stand before the judgment seat. And if you start listing your good works, Jesus will say, I never knew you. So what then is the will of God? What ought we to say? Luke 18, 13. Remember the story of the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, just two quick points of counterbalance. There are denominations that will say that you must have these charismatic gifts to be saved. And I've been through the membership classes. I know that actually many of you come from this kind of background. Speaking in tongues and prophecy. You have to perform these works to be saved. And Jesus is clearly saying in this text, these are not the way to salvation. Now, Jesus isn't um, condemning those things necessarily. We believe those were important for the work of the early church and the building up of the early church, but they are not the path to salvation. So second, and I'm, I'm just getting real practical with us here. If you're in the, fe the fence if you're on the fence about Christianity, you're uncertain about Christianity, Jesus is especially challenging you here to recognize and identify the system of belief on which you rest your immortal soul. When Jesus says to these people, he says, they say to me, Lord, Lord, but I say, I never knew them. He is telling the listeners that these people assumed that they knew God's will. And he says, I never knew you. 
They took a bet, betting that God was this way, that this was the way to the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and that's prophecy, casting out demons and works, and they were wrong. It was not his will. So, are you so confident in your system of belief that you are willing to overlook Christianity without examination? Or are you willing to investigate? So look, I can work with people who have at least come to me. They may, may not believe in Jesus, but they may say, I investigated it. And I have questions about this thing and that thing. I can talk to those people. But it is very difficult to have a conversation with someone who just rejects Christianity outright, who never investigates. And he's challenging us here. Do you want to bet your eternal soul on your current path? So, you know, probably the best illustration I can give you is just some pastoral experience I've had watching people wrestle coming to faith. And I've noticed there are two kinds of people. The first kind makes an assumption. They assume they know what Christianity is about. They assume that Christians are too different from themselves to spend time with. That they think that to even set a foot in the church, that they have to get their lives together. That they have to get things right They feel they're too different than everyone else. And do you know what happens to these people? What happens is they never come. They never come. Now, the second kind of person I've noticed is they're they're also skeptical. They feel uncertain, and they feel different, but they realize that if they never come, they'll never know. And so they come, and then do you know what they realize? They realize that the Word of God is as much for them as it is for anyone. And I've watched many come to faith. So there is the warning of the will. Are you a Christian who says, Jesus is my savior, but you know nothing about his teaching? Or are you not a Christian, assuming that you think you know what Christianity is and teaches, but you never look into it? This is our second warning. So the warning of the way, the warning of the will, and lastly, the warning of the word. This is verses uh, 21 to 22. Now, the warning of the word, um, sorry, verses 24 to 29. The warning of the word is like a counterbalance uh, to the warning of the will. Would you read with me verse 24? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. So if in the last paragraph, Jesus is warning that your works do not get you into heaven. In this paragraph, Jesus is warning that it still matters to do what he says to do. So to say it the way that Martin Luther said it, because he summarizes the best. He said, you are saved by grace through faith alone, but it's a faith that does not remain alone. It's always accompanied by works. A Christian hears the word, and he does it. He puts it into practice. So let's be clear about what Jesus is illustrating here. Who is the rock in this illustration? It's Jesus. Jesus is the rock. He's the rock. Then Jesus says, hearing and doing his words is like a man who builds his house on the rock. So Jesus is saying, it matters where you build your life and it matters how you build your life. The house is your life. It matters where you build your life and it matters how you build your life. And his warning is twofold. So first, let's look at how you build your life. Now, you could potentially build your life on Jesus and struggle to hear the word of God and do it. And in fact, I think this may be many of our experiences. 
Jesus is challenging us. Are you acting on the words you're hearing? Are you acting on the words you're hearing? If that is not the case, then it is a right and appropriate to challenge to ask ourselves, did we really hear it? Did we really hear it? Did you let it sink into your heart? So remember, your house is on the rock. Your salvation is secure. But maybe the reason you are not acting is because you are not hearing. Or if I could say it another way, it's like my daddy says, it's not the way you hear, it's the way you listen. How do I know if it's really sunk in? Well, let me ask you. We're just getting personal here. Are you anxious all the time? Are you anxious all the time? Are you constantly worried about tomorrow? Do you have peace in your life? If not, did you hear it? Did you hear it? Did you let the word sink into your heart that you're a child of God, that nothing in the world can separate you from the love of the Father? Did you hear it? If not, you need to go back and you need to dwell and commit that word until it's so deep into your heart that your actions flow. Actions follow beliefs. That's what Jesus is teaching. So that's the first part of the warning. Now the second part, the second part of the warning is, is an issue of salvation. So you could potentially be building your house and it looks great. You have a life free of anxiety. You have a life that looks perfect on the outside. It maybe even feels perfect on the inside, but you could be building your house on the wrong foundation. You could be building your house on sand. Verse 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and great was the fall of it. Let me share something personal with you. There is no fall more painful for me to watch than when someone thinks that they have a house built on Jesus and the winds come and the rains fall and the floods rise and it beats against that house and they discover that it was built on sand and great was the fall of it. And I know I'm not alone in having seen this. I've seen homes wrecked. I have seen pastors destroyed. I've seen relationships ruined in the wake of the fall of a man or woman who was surprised to find out that their foundation was sand. It is far better for us to recognize what our foundation is now than to keep building a beautiful house and to watch it fall later. So I thought about illustrations for this, but after just, just knowing this congregation, there are some illustrations too painful. And so I actually want to focus instead on so instead of getting super specific, I want to speak to some issues I think this applies to broadly. To put Jesus' words all together, when the path becomes large and wide and you're tempted to take the easy road, we have a word for that in English. It's called mainstream. Mainstream. And Jesus says, few are on the road to life. Many are on the road that leads to death. So part of the warning of building a house on sand is that it's the easier option. So look, rock, rock is very heavy. If you've ever tried to move rock, you have to get it, you have to assemble it, it's weighty and it's difficult. It is easier to just put your house on the sand. Just move it around, it's self-leveling. The temptation to be mainstream to be like everyone else is easier for us. And I believe we feel that temptation most strongly today. 
in today's society. So Christianity, biblical Christianity, feels really different today than the culture seems around us. So I feel it far more now. I feel a lot weirder now than I did 20 years ago as a Christian. I feel weirder now than I felt 10 years ago. And there are things culturally acceptable now that we wouldn't have dreamed of a generation ago being culturally acceptable. It moves quite quickly. And with the growing difference comes a temptation to take the easy path. And that path begins like this. You question the word. Did Jesus really mean it when he said, and I'm just going back to the Sermon on the Mount here, love my neighbor as myself. Did he really mean it when he said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, and that not one iota, not one dot of God's word will pass away until all is accomplished? Did he mean it? Did he mean it when he said, to lust after a woman is committing adultery? Did he mean it when he said that to be angry with my neighbor in my heart is to murder them? There is a temptation, especially today, to try to divorce the Savior from his words. And he is crystal clear here. Jesus means every single word he says. It is and will always be a temptation for us to pick and choose what we want from the Bible. And he warns us. A true disciple does not do that. He hears the word of God and he does it. So how do I know that Christ is my rock, my foundation? Well, just take a moment to reflect on your life. Are there things he's telling you to do in his word and you refuse to do them? Are there parts of the Bible you refuse to listen to? Do you pick your version of Christianity that you like the best rather than letting the Bible inform your Christianity? These are the warnings. Okay, this has been a whole sermon full of warnings. But praise be to God, I left out the main verse of encouragement until now. And I hope that this this verse is as encouraging for you as it is for me. Verse 25. For the one who built his house on the rock, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Church family, how might we be assured that Christ is our rock? By grasping that the way through every warning is Jesus. So did you realize that every example Jesus gives of himself here, every warning, there is some place else in the Bible where Jesus declares that he is the answer. Did you know that? So I gave you one already, John 14, 6. Who's the way? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But how about the door? How about the gate? John 10, 16. I am the door. Direct quote. How about the shepherd who leads you? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. How about that word that you have to do? Well, John 1. And the word became flesh dwelt amongst us. And how about the rock on whom you stand? Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, 
and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Then lastly, who is your entrance into the kingdom of heaven? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. How might we heed all the warnings that Jesus presents to us and not feel overwhelmed? The only way is through Christ himself. If Jesus is your entryway, if Jesus is your path, if Jesus is your shepherd, if Jesus is your word, if Jesus is your rock, then take courage. Your house will stand. So maybe there are some of you here today who realize that your house is not built on Christ. Maybe it's built on sand, or maybe some of you knew that already, but you long for this kind of assurance. Well, among these warnings is an invitation. And the invitation goes like this. Would you consider moving? Would you consider packing up all your belongings, sweep that house clean, buy a train ticket, and move your home onto the solid rock of Christ? He welcomes you there. And for the Christians of the room, hear this warning and this encouragement. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray.